do not forget you you know democracies can fail in fact most most democracies do fail and one of the early signs of failure is when you have all these tribalisms popping up and no sense of you know common destiny and you know real dysfunction and economic you know pain because it opens the door to strong men it opens the door to demagogues who can then rather than have us turn to each other really prosper by having us turn on each other and that's really what you see with with a, a donald trump Hello and welcome to The Resistors, a podcast where we talk with all the people trying to save us from Donald Trump. I'm your host, Chris Vaith. On today's show, we talk with Van Jones. Van is a CNN political contributor and host of the CNN primetime special series, The Messy Truth with Van Jones. He served as a special advisor to the Obama White House. He's the author of two previous New York Times bestsellers. I think he may soon have a third bestseller on his hands, and we'll talk about that. Van has also founded a number of social justice organizations, the Dream Corps, the Ella Baker Center for Human Rights, Color of Change, Green for All, Cut 50, and Yes, We Code. He's the recipient of such a long list of awards. I'll just mention one that I think sums it up. Times 100 Most Influential People in the World. I spoke with Van as he embarked on a tour for his new book, Beyond the Messy Truth, How We Came Apart, How We Come Together. And if you want to figure out how someone like Trump could get elected to the highest office in this land, and what we can do now to defend decency and democracy, I highly recommend you read this book. Van, thanks so much for joining us today on The Resistors. Yeah, man. So first, I wonder if you could help us think about the future. And I should just mention for listeners that I've been learning from you for a long time, (laughs) almost two decades ago, believe it or not. Your organization at the time supported our organizing efforts for police reform in the Bronx, New York, in the wake of the Amadou Diallo shooting. And this was long before everyone had a, a video camera in their pocket in the form of a cell phone to document what was happening. And it was clear that technology was going to help make some change. And then in the early 2000s, long before the release of An Inconvenient Truth, the movie by our former Vice President Al Gore, I first learned about climate change from you. You suggested to a bunch of us community organizers that while we were focused on the grassroots, we also should probably be paying attention to melting ice many, many miles from home. And so I guess that's a long way, Van, of saying that when you predict the future, I listen up. So about the future, how many years do you think that Donald Trump could be our president? Well, it may be a total of eight, and then Ivanka could run. Um, so uh, I, I think that uh, people say that Donald Trump is crazy, and I think there's plenty of evidence for that. But another definition of crazy is to do the same thing over and over again and expect a different outcome. The reason I wrote the book, uh, Beyond the Messy Truth, How We Came Apart and um, How We Come Together, is because I'm afraid that um, all of us are still doing the same things that allowed Trump to win in the first place, especially progressives. You know, I think that from the time Donald Trump came down the escalator, uh, which is now you know two years ago, um, you know, he's just managed to keep us just outraged and offended and kind of running from tweet to tweet and not actually dealing with the core issues that allowed him to win in the first place. First is that, you know, we were so 
arrogant in uh, 2016. We didn't even fight him that hard. We just kept, you know, I kept hearing people saying, well, you know, he's going to win. He's going to win. I mean, I mean that she's going to win. She's going to win. It's impossible for him to win. He has no pathway to win. And I was one of the few people you talk about predicting the future. I was one of the few people in June of, of 2016, months before the election. I was pretty clear. He had a real good shot. I, I put out videos explaining it. And I got every right, every state right, except for Wisconsin in June. So, um, so one thing is just us kind of being in our own bubble is not good. The other thing is that, um, we don't invest really in our own base. And I talk in, in the book about, um, some really shocking things I discovered, you know, by you know, being on CNN and going around the country where, you know, African Americans, Latinos were begging the Democratic Party and the Hillary Clinton campaign to invest in grassroots turnout. And, um, but the campaign said, no, you know, we've got our data, uh, we've got our data models and, um, uh, and we've got it in the bag. And I've got a great uh, quote in there where one of the preachers on the ground in Detroit said, they got data, but data don't vote. <laughs> and, um, <laughs> you know, we, we've got to have, uh, you know, uh, more of a focus on really lifting up the coalition. And then the third thing that, that I talk about in the book is that as proud as I am of progressives, especially, you know, over the past 20 years, you know, increasingly just unapologetically embracing um, constituencies like Muslims, LGBTQ, African-Americans, dreamers, women, and being proud about that and bringing, you know, building a circle that includes those folks at the center, I sometimes still think that maybe we drew our circle too small in 2016 and left some other folks, uh, maybe not the traditionally marginalized folks that we've been good at pulling in, but some newly economically marginalized folks or culturally, um, um, you know, displaced folks who are white and male and live in, in, um, in red states, who, some of whom um, are going to vote for Republicans no matter what, but a sliver of whom uh, voted for Obama twice before they jumped the fence for Trump. Not including them in our rhetoric and in our understanding, I think, can, you know, uh, was a mistake. And so the book is really for people who are just tired of the food fight, sick of the crazy, wanting some sense about how can we think about this, you know, both for progressives and conservatives that might give us some new insight and give us a new, some new pathways forward. Because again, if we just keep doing exactly what we've been doing every morning, get up, outraged by a tweet and complain about Donald Trump, it's conceivable he would have eight years plus Ivanka. You're in Michigan today to talk about your new book. And you've worked in some big northern cities and west coast cities. You're originally from the rural south. Are there some threads that connect life in each of these disparate places that you'll be talking about tonight in Michigan? Sure. And um, uh, one of the things that I uh, see both from my life, um, having been a grassroots outsider, Back in the days when we first met, uh, working on criminal justice before that was remotely popular, we didn't even have the term mass incarceration. We called it the prison industrial complex. Um, but, you know, working on that for, you know, 20 plus years, um, all the way to, um, uh, you know, being a White, House, a White House insider and getting a chance to spend six months working in the Obama White House. And then, you know, I, I did grow up in you know, red America, small town America, the edge of a small town, public schools, a church every other Sunday. Um, and then 
I wound up in the Ivy League, went to Yale for law school, uh, you know, taught at Princeton. I've been a fellow at MIT. So I've been on all sides of all this stuff and not just this past year, but really my whole life. And a big part of the book is really, you know, it's tough love for both parties in that it, you know, I've got an open letter to liberals trying to give some, some, you know, perspective and, and insight. I also have an open letter to, to conservatives, um, uh, challenging them. Uh, saying, hey, look, I don't need you to become a Democrat or a progressive, you know, berserkly, I, you know, I, but you, geez, you know, could you be an actual conservative? Because there's nothing conservative about, you know, Donald Trump letting, you know, Russia run over our democracy or, um, you know, risk all of our um, um, alliances or having the government stick its nose in private business, whether that's the NFL or mainstream media you know, or any number of his offenses, you know, could you guys just be better conservatives? <laughs> um, and, um, and then that'd be all right with me. So, you know, the book really does try to, um, uh, you know, give a, a little bit of tough love to both sides, but then a whole third of the book, um, the last part of the book is just resources, um, issues that we could be working on right now. Um, you know, whether it's opioid addiction or criminal justice reform or, 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 or jobs, jobs for tomorrow. And, you know, plus just a whole list of, of books and documentaries and organizations that people can join actually on the left and the right, trying to give us some ability to, uh, get out of this, this, this kind of stuck place. Yeah. You frame the book with the idea of common pain, including the pain of poverty and addiction and the criminal justice system. And it would seem that pain is also manifesting itself in our politics both in a lot of the support of Donald Trump and also a lot of the resistance to the Trump administration. So what do we do with this common pain? Yeah, well, you know, common pain should lead to common purpose and common purpose should lead to common projects. And when you have common projects, you know, you get back to common sense. Uh, you know, the common pain, I mean, wherever I've gone, whether it's been West Virginia, where, you know, I, I went and, you know, helped to win a big fight this year to get coal, a bit to get 20,000 coal miners their health care benefits back and we, we won that fight or whether it's you know south central los angeles you know in california my organization the dream Corps, has been um uh, uh supporting criminal justice reform through our cut 50 campaign we got four major bills uh through working with our allies uh through the california legislature signed into law to help fix the juvenile justice system so literally from the west coast work with African-Americans and Latinos on criminal justice to, you know, Appalachia working with mostly white folks on, on, on health care for coal miners. Um, I've just seen that everybody's got the same problem. Uh, you've got addiction um, out of control everywhere. You've got poverty, joblessness, no, you know, either, you know, no jobs or bad jobs, no good, you know, good rate raises coming down the pipe um, and a broken criminal justice system. And yet, um, you know, common pain has not yet led to common purpose. Big, you know, point of the book. A big part of the book is just pointing out all the ways that we could be working together. Now, listen, this is not a kumbaya book. There are some pl things we're just going to fight about. Um, you know, we're not going to back down on you know the persecution of Muslims and standing up against the persecution of Muslims or the you know uh, attacks on transgender people from this president um, you know, who never served in the military and yet he's you know attacking people who are. Um, you know, obviously the American Muslim community is, if anything, is our best community that we got in the United States. And you have the, they have the lowest crime rate. They have the lowest divorce rate. Uh, they have the highest uh, entrepreneurship rate. 
one of the highest educational attainments for women in the country. Um, you know, if, if you had a Muslim family moving next door, you'd be jumping for joy because the chances of your kids getting in trouble just went way, way down. I mean, because these are, you know, just extraordinary Americans doing an extraordinary job. And yet we persecute them. We should be lifting them up and showing the, the, the rest of the, of the Muslim world, um, you know, a, a completely different model that could completely undercut these jihadists. But instead we give uh, aid and comfort to jihadists by um, attacking uh, our, um, uh, our, our own uh, you know, best citizens. So, um, you know, we're not going to back off of defending Muslims or uh, LGBTQ or women or African-Americans or sticking up for the dreamers. Uh, you know, and other immigrants, that fight and those kinds of fights, we can't back down on. But you can't only fight and still have a country. <laughs> um, and, you know, while we're in trench warfare on the places where we have to have a real battleground, we also should always be looking for that common ground as well in some of these common ground fights around, um, you know, jobs and addiction and, and criminal justice can keep the country from just flying apart. Do not forget, you, you know, democracies can fail. In fact, most, most democracies do fail. And one of the early signs of failure is when you have all these tribalisms popping up and no sense of, you know, common destiny and, you know, real dysfunction and economic, you know, pain because it opens the door to strong men. It opens the door to, demagogues who can then, rather than have us turn to each other, really prosper by having us turn on each other. And that's really what you see with, with a, a Donald Trump. If we don't start addressing this, if we don't start really trying to get after some of the root causes of the pain, rebuilding some bridges back over to some of the you know red state America on a respectful basis where we can, and then also really investing in the leadership and the organizations of African Americans, Latinos, you know, women and other organ other you know folks who make up our base, then you know if Donald Trump's able to push through a serious a serious tax reform bill, if, he, if he's able to avoid any you know serious you know war with say North Korea or something like that, then you know you can say, listen, you may not like all my tweets, but I gave you peace and prosperity. There's a big chunk of America that would be willing to give him a second shot. If you don't want that to happen, then we've got to start doing things differently. <laughs> yeah, I, I think I heard our listeners' collective jaw drop when you suggested the possibility of two terms, eight years. Uh, I, I want to ask you about something else that you write about, the criminal justice system you mentioned. We're seeing a lot of unlikely alliances on the issue, and you've helped cross boundaries that people might not have expected before. You've worked with Newt Gingrich on the issue of over-incarceration. When California was building way more prisons than college campuses, most of the people incarcerated were Black and Latino. And then you had unemployed whites in many communities clamoring for prisons to be built in their backyards so that they could get those jobs. Well, yeah, I mean, part of the, of the, the, the calling, you know, for those of us who've been a part of this fight for a long time, it was always we wanted to close prison doors and open doors of opportunity. Um, and that necessarily required liberating not just the prisoners, but also the prison guards so that both could come out of, out of those, those, those jailhouses into 
other forms of work and opportunity. And a big uh, challenge that we have is that, you know, when we, and when I say we, I mean progressives, you know, take our eyes off that bigger prize. And we say, basically, if you're some rural, red state, red county, Christian, white dude, you know, you're basically the enemy. What that sets up is a dynamic where we can't track uh, what their needs are. And guess what? Uh, They will then start doing bad stuff like voting for not just Republicans, fine, but for Republicans, but voting for the worst kind of Republicans ever born who are just completely um, unreasonable and who will not only vote for prisons so that they'll have prisons in all those towns that used to have mills and used to have uh, you know, um, small family farms, you know, agriculture, agribusiness takes over. So now all you've got is a prison. Not only are they voting for the prisons um, and having an economic stake in our um, oppression, and we don't have an alternative, we don't have any conversation, we don't even have a sensitivity to it. Not only, you know, do they, uh, you know, succumb to all these, you know, uh, you know, this despair when it comes to opioids and suicides and this sort of stuff, um, which also makes people more desperate, more open to demagogues. But the other problem that you have, you know, is that, uh, uh, you know, the the sense that we're one country is not just being cut off by our right wing opponents. It can sometimes accidentally be cut off by us <laughs> because, you know, we, you know, because we start saying, you know, the us and the them and we start saying those people and we start saying, you know, and we start sounding like the very, uh, you know, bigots you know, who are, you know, uh, driving this whole divisive agenda, which is hard for us to hear. And then people say, oh, well, Van Jones, that's a false equivalence. It's a false equivalence. And listen, I didn't say it was equal. All I'm saying is even if it's 80%, um, you know, uh, the Republican conservative white guy's fault, even if it's 90%, what about the 10% where we could be doing better? And that's where we actually have some power and can make change. You know, I've got two um, two little boys, and they play, you know, sports. They play soccer. They play basketball. You know, after they lose a tough game, it's perfectly normal for them to be upset, perfectly normal for them to, to blame the referee, to complain about the other side cheating, to start talking about Comey and the FBI and the Russians. But, you know, guys, after a certain point, you got to say, guys, I get it. <laughs> um, but is there anything we could have done ourselves on our side? You know, if all that's true, what could we have done better? What could we do differently next time? How can we actually improve? And what's been so shocking to me is after now two years of just, you know, outrage politics against Donald Trump, I believe sapping our energy sapping our morale, make, you know, giving him what he wants, which is, you know, he's ADD. Now we're ADD. He's petty and, and small-minded. We're getting petty and small-minded. After two years, I still don't see us finally, you know, turning toward the really deep engagement with our own uh, weaknesses that open the door for this. The minute that we start spending more time in the day on our own plans to heal our coalition. We got a big split between the Bernie folks and Hillary folks to invest in our base, African-Americans, Latinos, 
and to reach out on whatever issues we can to to our red state, you know, former former um, 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 Democrat. The more the very day there will come a day where we have spent one more minute on that than we spent being up, upset with Trump, and that's the day when the resistance will actually start. Because right now, this is not the re- resistance; it's a reaction. It's a reaction to Trump. But the resistance, the revival, the renaissance, the reconstruction of the, of the Obama coalition and beyond the Obama coalition has still not begun. For for all the marches, for all the tweets, it still hasn't begun. I hear you, and I, we've talked with a lot of the organizers of the marches that have been happening this year uh, who are thinking about these questions. So how then, at the same time that we're pushing back on Trump's worst impulses, especially his vilification of people and communities that he's deemed to be other, uh, people who face very real daily risk under this administration, how do we also engage the people who voted for him? Let me just say, I do think that all the marches are good. Um, I do I do think that all the opposition and, you know, the one thing that was, had, would have been terrible and, frankly, was not a given, um, you know, people could have just um, rolled over for this guy. People could have just said, oh, well, here's the new normal. The fact that people refuse to do that is a positive thing. It's just not enough on its own. And so what I, what, what I include in the book are, um, you know, again, you know, I, I just come back to the three main things, which is criminal justice, opioids, um, and other addictions and the need to get ready for the jobs of tomorrow, including clean energy and high tech. Those are common ground issues that, um, you know, both sides already agree on. We're just not doing anything about. And, um, and what I'm encouraging people to do through the book, first of all, people can join the lovearmy.org. Um, we're setting up book clubs. Uh, we're even trying to experiment with having, you know, people come together across partisan lines you know, gingerly testing that out, but we really just helping people set up their own book clubs, whoever they want to invite. The Dream Corps, again, where I work, um, which I'm very proud of, which supports the Love Army. It supports Green for All. It supports Yes We Code. Um, it supports Cut 50, our campaign against crim- uh, on, on criminal justice. You know, it's located in Oakland, but it's a national organization. Um, you know, uh, the Dream Corps is another place that people can go and find resources and find ways to get plugged in and get involved. Um, you know, uh, my main passion is, you know, bridge building and problem solving at scale. Um, there is simply no problem we can solve with only, for instance, you know, progressive, heterosexual, African-American, middle-aged guys. Um, I, there's just not enough of people like me to get major problems solved. So I've got to get good at reaching out to and working with people who are female, who are Latino and Latina, who are Asian, who are Native American, who are white, who are red state, who are blue state, who are whatever. This is just, it's just a fact that we sometimes forget. You can tweet to just your own subset. You can Facebook post and get lots of likes from just your own subset, you know, but you can't solve a problem with only your own subset. And my concern is that we're beginning to atrophy to Trump's great benefit, by the way, atrophy our our ability to uh, disagree constructively. We're gonna disagree. That's the whole point of a democracy: is that you get to disagree. In a dictatorship, you can't disagree. Democracy, everybody gets to disagree. That's called freedom. I love it. I I I mean, let's keep it up. But it's supposed to be 
constructive disagreement. In other words, you know, you have a thesis. I don't agree, agree with you. I have an antithesis. And then by us going back and forth with great passion, but also with great listening and a sense of common destiny, we come up with a new synthesis, thesis, antithesis, synthesis, a new idea sometimes. Maybe you're for the free market. Maybe I'm for government. If we argue enough, we might come up with a public-private solution that's better than your idea or my idea. That's constructive disagreement. And if we can't get to constructive disagreement, we vote against each other on that. I win or I lose. You win or you lose. But then the next issue, we look at that one on its merits. And if it turns out there have been nine issues in a row where we were in disagreement, but here comes one where we actually might agree, well, we can work on that together. Well, that all of that's gone. The idea that you can have constructive disagreement, you can be passionate where you disagree, but you can also be passionate where you agree. And you can fight hard against someone when you disagree with them and then turn around the very next minute and, and fight hard alongside someone where you do agree, that is gone. And it's not just Trump, and it's not just the Tea Party, it's not just Republicans that reject that style of politics. You increasingly now have liberals and progressives who reject that style of politics without considering that that very rejection is actually exactly what Trump needs. Trump desperately needs division. He desperately needs a, a lack of fellow feeling among Americans for him and his ideas to thrive. So it's not kumbaya. It's not naive. It's very, very smart politics to continue to fight passionately for our constituents and for our, our beliefs, but also to be aggressively trying to find areas of common ground and shared work. Speaking of not kumbaya and not naive, you mentioned the Love Army, uh, a project of yours that recently toured around the country and brought a really critical conversation and celebration to cities everywhere. I'm curious about the name. It's such a stark contrast to where I think a lot of us find ourselves in the year 2017. I, um, yeah, I just, I want to be very clear. Uh, when I said we were going to build the love army, I can't tell you how many liberals and progressives, you know, want to throw up and say, well, they don't feel loving and they just want to be mad. And I said, well, look, you know, and that love is weak. And, and I said, I don't know what kind of love you have in your life. That sounds like a personal problem, but love is the strongest force in my life. And love is the strongest force in the universe. You know, that mama bear loves those cubs. And you better not mess with those cubs. Or you're going to deal with it. Um, and that's the kind of love we're talking about, a fierce revolutionary love, but an, also an acknowledgement that, we A, we're never going to out-ugly Donald Trump. We're never going to out-hate these neo-Nazis. I mean, you know, if that's a competition, we can, all, we can just quit. We're never going to out-hate, out-ugly, out-nasty these people. That's not even what you and I are good at. We're too sensitive. We care about too many people. We just we, That's not our fight. Our fight is to fight you know, divisive hate with a unifying love that doesn't you know, ignore um, the differences and doesn't duck from the hard fight, but also doesn't retreat or shrink away from the hard work of building some bridges where there is common ground and just doing the work to try and de-inflame this stuff. I tell Republicans all the time, if you don't believe in women's right to choose, you're scared of Muslims, you're not comfortable with multiculturalism, 
then don't come in the Democratic Party. You, you're a Republican. You should vote for Republican, but vote for better Republican. And I'll vote for better Democrats. Maybe we can finally get something done in this country, at least on the areas where we do agree, which are significant. Well, Van, on TV and in the real world, you continue to challenge us to be better so that we can all make this country better. I want to highly recommend that listeners get a copy of your book, Beyond the Messy Truth. They can find it at local bookstores or online at randomhousebooks.com. It is required reading for our times. And uh, thank you again for taking the time to sit down and good luck at your event tonight in Michigan. Well, thank you so much. That does it for this episode of The Resistors. Thanks for listening and thanks so much to Van Jones and the entire Dream Court team. You can find them at thedreamcore.org. You can also hear more episodes of The Resistors at iTunes, SoundCloud, and Stitcher. And if you know someone who should be a guest on a future episode, connect with us at theresistors.co.